Well, good morning, Third Street. Y'all see my guy Sly got me right up here. You see this, right? You see this, right? He said, he said BMX needs to stay up there with big hair. That's what we call that music stand. You see this. Hey, man. Okay. Pre- appreciate you. Appreciate you. Um, well, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Corey. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Third Street Community Church, and it's my distinct honor and privilege to be bringing forth the word of our God to you this morning. It is one of uh, the many things that I love about getting to serve this community and be in family and in relationship with you all. If you haven't been with us, oh my goodness, at this point, I can't even, I can't even recap it all. We are in week seven. Somebody say seven. 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 It's the number of perfection. We're in week seven of this series called church clothes. And where we've been is we've been taking our good old time through Ephesians chapter six. We've been taking it for the most part one or one verse at a time, or as we are this morning, a half of a verse at a time as we dive deep into what it is that the Lord calls us to wear. Um, I'm not really talking, obviously, about uh, matching the theme that our worship team plans out every single week of what to wear. I'm more so talking about um, our spiritual clothing. We've been addressing the idea that, that it's a war going on, that there's a lot happening in the spiritual and in the physical, and it is up to the people of God to answer the call in Jesus' name on this side of eternity. And it matters very much to God what we wear and what we're armored with as we do so. And so if you would and you haven't already and you have your physical Bibles with you, I invite you to join me in the book of Ephesians. We are in chapter 6. We're going to begin our time in verse 10, just as we began the series in verse 10. And today we're going to get all the way through about partway, uh, halfway through verse 17. So this is Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have your Bibles, that's all good. It is up on the screen for you. We're going to start in verse 10. And make our way halfway through 17. The word of God says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This was last week. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And now just this first part for this week and take the helmet of salvation. One more time, our focus this week and take the helmet of salvation. If 
you have been even mildly conscious this week. You have unknowingly and inevitably seen um, what is happening across the Atlantic Ocean, or I guess the Pacific, depending on which way you go, um, what's happening in terms of Russia choosing to invade Ukraine. And while it's very much not my desire to get into the politics of it all with you this morning, um, it is important that we call out what is happening as it not only disrupts the peace of Europe, but also disrupts the peace of a whole lot of lives that the Lord deeply cares about. And it's been made known up to this point, while we don't know a ton, we do at the very least know that it seems Russia's current objective is to make its way to and to overtake the capital city of Kiev, Ukraine. Because in the capital city of Kiev, that's, that's where decisions are made. That's where power exists. That's where commands are sent out. And so Russia knows if it's able to overtake the capital, then it, uh, in effect, is able to control the country. In the same way, the devil has a strategy to attack and overtake the most vital and susceptible organ of our spirituality. And that is the mind. It's vital because just as the capital of a country, the mind is the command center of our bodies. It's our brain, it's our mind that sends the commands to the rest of our body to tell us how to appropriately react. And so the devil knows that if he can get the mind, he can control the body. If he occupies space in our heads, then he can get the rest to move at his will. It's as old as we possibly can even fathom it being. In Genesis 3, as we've continuously gone back to in this series, we see the enemy launch his very initial attack in this world. His very first attack was on Eve, not of her body, but her mind. Playing with it. Did the Lord really say don't you want to know he began an attack on her mind in Matthew chapter 4 when Satan himself comes face to face with Jesus as he's in the wilderness it's not his body that Satan chooses to attack it's his mind if you're really the son of God couldn't you just Or if you throw yourself off the building, won't God just, it's the mind. So it's important under Paul's instruction to the Ephesians that we understand all of the ways 
that it is not any other method but the salvation made available to us through Jesus Christ that protects our mind. You know it's coming. I have three points for you this morning. Some refer to my three points as the three P's of salvation, but at any rate, there are three points to help us understand the importance and all of the ways that salvation covers our minds. The first one is this. The helmet of salvation protects us from the penalty of sin. The helmet of salvation protects us from the penalty of sin. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is, you know it, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, once upon a time, there was a penalty hanging over our heads. Once upon a time, there was a penalty weighing on our minds that we could not escape because what we learn from Scripture is that all people, all sin will be banished from the presence of God in the end for he cannot be in the same place as imperfection. If all sin is banished, then therefore it's a very short leap for us to assume that all people who sin are banished, which puts us in a very precarious situation. Because I don't know about you, but I didn't make it to 11.05 this morning without maybe slipping up, right? Let's just be real. Somebody cut you off this morning. Some kid was going real slow in your house. Somebody messed up your morning coffee order. Shout out to all my Starbucks family. I love you. I love you. I love you. It wasn't y'all. I know it wasn't y'all. I know it wasn't y'all. But it puts us in this position of having the weight of a penalty over our head. But John 3, not 16, but 17, if you keep reading, tells us that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather in order that the world might be saved through him. What are you saying? Jesus did not come to uphold and execute the penalty that was over our heads. As a matter of fact, Jesus came to pay it himself. Jesus came to wipe that debt clean. There is no more bounty on our heads. There is no more God in heaven looking to hold us under that penalty. But there is an enemy who now has a strategy to keep people in the dark about that penalty being paid. There is nothing he would like more than for you to not realize that your debt has been wiped away. And for the believers, for those that have already been enlightened, for those of us that have already come to terms with the fact that there is no penalty on our heads, that there is is freedom in Christ, Satan wants to weigh heavy on our minds through the guilt and the shame that comes when we still sin. He wants to tell us those those narratives about who we are and the things that we used to be. He wants to still take the, the sin that we commit and the wrongdoings that we're wrapped up in. And he wants us to 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 believe that that's who we are. He wants to he wants to hold us 
accountable for that sin in terms of the way that we live. He doesn't want us to live as if we've been freed from the chains that we were freed from on the cross and with the resurrection of Christ. He wants us to still believe that we are in bondage to sin. Though time and time again, God has proven over and over that that is the furthest thing from the truth. By the grace of God and nothing else, by the grace of God for a few years now, my student loans have been paid off. Praise God. Praise God. I can't take any credit for that. Praise God. My student loans were fully paid off by the grace of God a few years back. But can I tell you something crazy? I still get calls from lenders. I still get calls telling me that I owe. Because even though the debt had been paid, they know that the fear of owing something is real. They know that so many of us are in debt and it weighs so heavy on our minds that they might just trick me into giving them more money as if I'm not free of that debt already. Oh, you caught... You caught where I'm going with that, right? That was plain enough for you. See, the devil wants you to live as if that debt has not been paid. He wants to call your line and take up just enough space in your brain to get you to live into his will just enough to forget that that debt has already been paid, that we are no longer in chains to the debt and penalty of sin. The key to freedom, my brothers and sisters, is forgiveness. The key to all of this and salvation is that Jesus has, say it with me now, forgiven our debts. And not only have we been forgiven, but we have been freed from the penalty. And so I have to wonder, if Jesus has forgiven our debts, then why do we let the devil put us in situations to not forgive ourselves? That's from the enemy. God does not operate in guilt and shame. That's not him. If you feel that that weight, that that creeping weight of guilt and shame of your past or maybe even your current strongholds, is from the Lord, that's a lie. That's what he wants you to believe. Your debt was paid years ago. So you have the right, in Jesus' name, to hang up that phone and tell that lender silently in the name of Jesus, have a blessed day, but it is, you must have the wrong number. Which leads me to the second point. The helmet of salvation protects us from the power of sin. The helmet of salvation protects us from the power of sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 tells us, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy what? To destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, when you accept your justification, 
Let me say it plainly. When you accept your freedom from the penalty, the Holy Spirit then is able to make his home within you to begin your sanctification, your process of becoming holy. And to be clear, it's not that we won't sin, right? Any of us. Any of us who have accepted the name of Jesus and the presence of his spirit in our lives have still sinned and fallen short. Amen? Amen. Oh, you don't want to talk back to me on that one, but you were hype a second ago. I got it. I got it. It's not that we won't sin and it's not that sin won't be presented to us, right? But it's that we have the power now to choose righteousness. We have the power to look the devil in his beady little eye and tell him, nah. We have the power to choose holiness. We have the power to choose godliness over sinfulness. The text tells us, Paul writes all over the place, that strongholds, those chains, are broken. In other words, what he's trying to get us to understand is that the taste for the love of sin has been broken. You don't even like that no more. That thing that you used to eat every day, but you ate so much of it that now as an adult, you look back like, that's nasty, and I can't even stand the sight of it. That's the way sin works when you receive salvation. That thing that you used to love to do, that you used to make every single day, that you used to build your day around. Now, as an enlightened adult, you look back on, and you're like, I just don't have room for that in my spiritual stomach anymore. It means that we also will be able to overcome the act of making excuses for sin. You know what I'm talking about. It's not that bad. It's nothing in comparison. I mean, it's not like I'm. But the process of sanctification, the process of of the Holy Spirit taking root in our lives frees us from that power, from that narrative, convincing our minds that we can still participate. Paul says elsewhere, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means, he says. You have been given freedom. You have been given, can I say it this way, a better way. And we'll also by the helmet of salvation, be given a gospel lens through which we're able to see what's going on around us so that we can avoid the delusion sin sin brings to our mind. When you put on the helmet of salvation, it doesn't make all these things go away. It just helps you see sin in its appropriate light. It helps you see that that really isn't the way, that that really is the path to destruction, and that Jesus really has provided a better way. But it also means that, in all likelihood, as we talked a few weeks ago, that it also probably means that Satan turns up the heat. That he ain't given up, that he's persistent and prideful. 
but that no matter the temperature he brings our way, we have been given the power to overcome it. We just don't always choose to. I pray for my guy, Nate, every day. Because I don't know how anyone has been given the godly patience to withstand daily for 12 hours at a time the arguments that happen in a barbershop. I like them for like 20 minutes. And then I'm like, y'all tripping. See, everybody's got, not everybody. There are some of us who have begun to follow these ways of thinking spoon-fed to us by YouTube theologians. I'm not coming for no next today. I'm not coming for no next. But, but, but what I will say, what I will say is that when I was a child, I thought like a child. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry. What I meant to say was that when I first accepted Christ's presence into my life, I didn't know anything. So I began to study the word. And I began to study it, not just in terms of like what it says on the surface, but for prayerfully the spirit to reveal to me what it means. I began to study it in terms of, um, in terms of its history. What was going on around the world while this was being written? I began to study it in terms of its language. See, there's so much poetry and irony that we miss out on with this translation of the Bible. I began to study it in terms of its genre. See, a lot of things weren't meant to be taken literally. I'm not going to try and get off on that track today, but, but some things genre interprets as not literal, right? And there's so many things that I began to study. And then after I studied it extensively, I began with the help of my professors to begin to study the theologians who, ded who dedicated their lives to doing this. Not the ones from 21st century with an email address and a platform on social media, but the ones, the ones that date all the way back to the age where the Bible was being canonized, right? Ones that date all the way back to the early centuries, ones that aren't just from the United States and have that lens, but go all the way back to theology's roots in East Africa. Like there were so many things that I learned. And after doing all of this research and after dedicating my life for several years to getting as deep into it as I could, you know what I discovered? Them people on YouTube really are full of it. Man, I seen a TikTok the other day. This dude talking. I can't get into it. I can't get into it. But just know, just know it's garbage. Just know that people are led astray by those six-second videos. It's wild. When you coming to the enlightenment of salvation, you look back on all the stuff that you were involved in and you have the power over those things to say, that ain't it. I think about my daughters are getting to the point, they're seven and six now, where, where the, and they're at this point where sometimes when, when they talk or when they're yelling, if I'm not looking at them, their voices are like sometimes indistinguishable. They're starting to sound alike, 
right? They're starting to kind of like, to kind of like have the same little tone, right? But there are certain things that Sarah and Kaylee will say that make them distinguishable. It's not necessarily the tone of voice all the time. Sometimes it's the things that they say that I'm like, that's Kaylee, right? Sometimes it's the things that I, that they say that I'm like, that's Sarah, right? You can just tell. See, when we get to know the God who saved us, when we find our rootedness in his word and through his spirit, we're able to distinguish what a lot of the world has found to be indistinguishable. We're able to know that while that sounds right, while this person sounds intelligent, I know my God, and that doesn't sound like something he would say. You have the power to overcome the tricks and the ploys of the enemy. And the key to doing this is rootedness. It's being rooted in prayer. The Lord imparts his spirit within your life to reveal things to you. It's it's being rooted in scripture. Because everything God is going to say, he's already said. And then had somebody write it down. That's so helpful. And it's being rooted in community. Because we, as we see through the latter half of the New Testament, it is the church. It's his people. It's Christ's body as manifested in the people that acknowledge their salvation. That is God's salvation plan for the world. Rootedness. And then we can find ourselves at point three. The helmet of salvation protects us from the presence of sin. Colossians 3, 2 through 4 says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So you might be asking yourself, Pastor, how how are we free from the presence of sin? How does the helmet of salvation protect us from the presence of sin? Because I've been at this a while now and there's nothing I can do that is making the presence of sin in the world around me go away. Well, what I will tell you is that the enemy wants to make you hyper aware of all of the brokenness that is around you. And it's not that Jesus doesn't want you to have an answer for that. I'll get there in a second. But the enemy wants you to be hyper aware of the sin and brokenness that is all around us. He wants us to see the suffering. He wants us to see the consequence. He wants us to see the evil because he knows the more we see it, the more able he is to take root in our minds about the difficulty of this life on earth. He's able to start talking to us about, see, there is no hope. See, it's never going to get better. See, there'll always be evil. People will always be starving. People will always hurt you. People will always be after their own selfish ambitions. There will never be a redemptive system. There will never be true freedom. 
There will always be room for evil in the world. Those are the things that he wants to point out to you by the very real things that are actually happening. Some of us in here this morning are weighed down very deeply by the depravity that's everywhere around us, by the evil, by the bad things that are constantly happening, maybe even in our own lives. And Paul's instructions is to set our minds on things that are above. In other words, this ain't it. This is not our home. This is not the the spot where Jesus is like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make it all better. It's going to happen right there where you stand right now. That's not the way this goes. But that actually there is an eternal home that he is building and has built, that he is welcoming and will welcome us into, where that will actually take place, the day of perfection. There's something better for us in eternity. And it is true that while we wait, God is working all things out to go in the favor of those who believe by the end. So whether we're able to look past our present circumstance or not, that does not change the truth that God is at work to see it go in our favor. And I know... I know it's a lot for me to ask you to trust the sovereignty of God, to trust the fact that he's in control. I know it's a lot for me to ask you to trust the fact that he will work it out and to wait in hope for glory. I know that that's a lot. But I need you to hear me say that the enemy wants you to believe that God being in control means God is making bad stuff happen to you. Listen, that's a lie from the pit of hell, deep in deception, and it's not for you. It's something that he will use to attack you. It's something that he will use to control you towards destruction, to spiral your mind out of control. And if you feel that and you don't hear anything else I say, I need you to hear what I'm about to say. Bad stuff happens because we're not living in glory yet. We haven't reached the day of perfection. And so, yes, we are surrounded in systems and people and in situations that are covered with sin and the consequences thereof. But can I tell you something? Do I have your attention? Sometimes, sometimes what's happening, sometimes when you feel like God is allowing stuff to happen, like it's getting deep and you don't know how much more you can take, sometimes God is showing you what he and you are made of. Sometimes he's putting you in a situation where you have to rely on what he's already given you to get through because he trusts the investment he's made in you. He trusts that he's given you what you need. He trusts that he's given you the training that you need to make it through. It's the fallen nature. It's the sin. It's the depravity of this world 
that are what likely brought us to this situation. But it's your justification, your sanctification, your glorification that will get you out. Let me see if I can make this one plain. Let me see. Yesterday, I took Sarah and Kaylee, my oldest two daughters, uh, to the roller skating rink. Mind your business. It's the first time I've done it in 17 years. My kids are rooting for me to fall. <laughs> but when we got there, we're getting their skates. And as I'm, as I'm paying for their skates and, um, and, and giving the money over, Kaylee, said, Kaylee says, Dad, wait, I need a walker. She said, I, I need a walker. And I'm like, okay, cool. I said, can I also get one of those little walker thingies, you know, the things that have wheels that, like, help you learn how to skate? She said, yeah, that's $3. I'm like, dang, it's tough out here. <laughs> I gave her my $3, and I gave Kaylee her walker. I thought I'd get that $3 back when I returned it safely. I didn't. But Kaylee began, she went out there, and she started skating with her walker. And then after about an hour or so, you can call me a cruel bad dad if you want to, but I took that walker away. I said, let's see what happens, Right? I took that walker away, and I took her out on the floor. And you know what happened? She was skating. Did she fall? Absolutely. Did I fall? None your business. But what would have happened if I never took that walker away? If I never took that walker away from her, she would have never discovered that she can skate, that she knows what to do, that she's been trained for a moment such as this to skate her little heart out in Jesus' name. <laughs> Folks, bad stuff happens. But God has already done the hard work to get the dub to get the victory, to get the win. He's already done it. It was done on a cross. And God has imparted in us all that we need to make it through to the other side. Perhaps it's not God that should change, but perhaps it's our perspective. Rather than focusing on the circumstance that's hurting us so deeply. We should see all of the ways God has already provided, the way he's providing in the moment, and the way he beckons us into perfection for eternity. And so that even if the worst does happen, by the grace of God, we're still present with him in Jesus' name. But again, the enemy doesn't want us to know that. He will do everything he can to speak to that narrative. Church, I got to be real with you in closing this morning. We've lost our minds. We as people, as a body of believers, as the church universal, we have lost our ever-loving minds. But by the power vested in us. It is time we take it back. 
I didn't have time to put this in there earlier, but I feel so led to mention it now. You notice that that Paul doesn't say, let someone give you the helmet of salvation. You notice that Paul doesn't say, have your buddy next to you put on the helmet of salvation on your head. It ain't nobody's salvation but the one that Jesus has handed you that is yours to pick up and put on. At some point, we have to recognize that if we still live under the penalty of sin, if we are still influenced by the power of sin, if we are still overwhelmed by the presence of sin, it is our own choosing to not have put on the helmet of salvation. And that's not to say that what you're going through isn't real, but it is to say that Jesus does have a way for you to get through it. And I would love nothing more, and he would love nothing more than to see that succeed. Church, it's about time that we take a stand and we tell the devil, no more, no thanks, -uh, not today, not tomorrow, not never, you devil, devil, Satan, no And we will not entertain these mind games anymore. You know how I learned about a scam? I had somebody tell me once that Apple will never call you. So if they're calling you to ask for your Apple ID, that's not really Apple. If somebody is calling you to tell you the penalty that you still owe is deep. If somebody is calling you, telling you that the power of of sin is still evident in your life. If somebody is calling you, telling you that the weight of the sin around you is, is something that should be weighing heavy on your mind that is not the Lord and you have the strength and the power and the right to hang up because church we have been forgiven we've been forgiven we've been freed from the bondage of sin and death so we should live in a way that shows others that truth we are rooted in Christ and our rootedness in Christ is making us an entirely new creation so we will not be swayed by every new thought and new philosophy but firmly speak the truth and love and rebuke the devil and church contrary to what anyone on television may want to communicate to you. We do have hope. We have hope in eternity. So while we live in the present destruction, we know that a brighter day is coming. And actively we shall live in a way that will bring people with us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift and the protection of salvation. God, we thank you that while we were yet still sinners, you saw fit to come and save us. God, we we pray that we ask for forgiveness for the ways that we have kept ourselves in chains. We ask for forgiveness for the ways that we have allowed the brokenness of the, of the world to sway our thoughts. And Lord, we ask that you would make yourself known 
in our present suffering. God, we ask that we would have the faith to acknowledge that our heads are already covered, that you have already paid it, that you have already delivered it, and that we now are given what we need to confidently follow you into eternity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All who believe say, bless up.